You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Healthcare Insight. This is Ron Bachman, and you're on America's Web Radio. If you've been a follower of this program for a number of months, we've been talking about health insurance reform, how you can't access good health care without good health insurance. So we've been outlining a number of programs that actually might work. Last few weeks, we've actually uh, gone in a little different direction. We've talked about the Supreme Court acceptance of uh, Obamacare and where that might go, a little bit of the history there. We've talked about the coronavirus. This week, what I want to talk about is getting back to the idea of health insurance reform. Now, I want to play a game with everybody out there listening today. I want to talk about Imagine. Imagine you are in control of developing a plan for some hassle-free, affordable health insurance. How would you reform the system? What are some of the ideas? Let me kind of spur you along. I know most of you are listening to this program are involved in health care, maybe politics. But I know most of you are probably not really policy wonks or health insurance expert. You're working in human resource department. You may be working for a hospital. I've had calls from a number of doctors who have been listening to this podcast. Well, to sort of help you, rather than sort of let's take a blank sheet and have you work on it, let me sort of lay out some basics of a plan for you to consider, and then you can build on it and send me messages or notices, emails, on how you can improve on what I'm talking about. So as we go through this process, I think you'll discover there's a number of big ideas that actually can make some sense. And I'm going to call this big idea personalized health insurance, where you don't have to settle for what is currently offered in the marketplace, where you can get the health insurance you want, the health care where you want it, and get it all at an affordable price. Like any consumer product, health insurance should be personalized to your unique needs. You're different from me. You're different from your neighbor. You're different from your other relatives. You have health care issues, either from birth or an accident you've had, or you've been acquiring things as you've gotten older. Now, when we talk about health insurance and health insurance reform from the political perspective, I know that most of you are angry that Congress has failed you. Republicans can't agree on a rational health reform plan, and Democrats struck out with Obamacare. You will likely get angry once we talk about some of the secrets, and I want you to be able to unlock some of the secrets of why health insurance affordability and reform is so difficult. No one seems accountable to you or the public at large. Hopefully in this process of imagining what could be, you'll learn about why you're not getting what you want. More importantly, you'll discover a new way forward and even build on the ideas to advocate 
exactly what you want and what you think will work for you or your family. You don't want any more empty political promises or bumper sticker slogans. Each of you listening out there, I'm sure, have that American can-do spirit. You want solutions now. Well, let's talk reality as a part of this imagining process. Let's start with some basics that make some sense. Because I want you to know about the forces working against your interests. So as you lay out a plan in your own mind, as you kind of build on some of the ideas that I'm going to throw out, you'll at least be able to recognize the reality of what the current environment is. So importantly, what I want you to know is what you can do about it. I want to cut through the dishonesty of politicians and insurance companies. For many years, they've delayed discussing solutions with endless debate over Is insurance a right or a privilege? And quite honestly, I don't care. It's just a distraction from actually finding solutions. You and I are more practical. You and I need health insurance to access health care. You and I need affordable insurance now for wellness and prevention activities that we need to take. Our families need insurance as protection against potential future hospital stays that could bankrupt us. Politicians say, we need a national conversation on health care reform. They send out opinion surveys that are really a ruse for fundraising. Have they ever responded back to you? No. You simply get another letter asking for money. You see, once they know you have an interest in health reform, they will use that topic to solicit more contributions. But they're not really listening to you. It's all computer-generated, it's computer-analyzed for fundraising. They have a lot of good experts out there to try to create more money for their pockets by grabbing it out of your pockets. Insurance executives say, we listen to our customers. Right. When was the last time you spoke to an insurance CEO? Unlikely. They stay isolated in their large home office buildings with guards and security codes to keep people like you and me away. Just try it sometime. Walk into one of their granite edifices and ask to speak to the CEO. Watch the verbal runaround and access barriers that suddenly go up. It's kind of fun to try that. So does that mean we're helpless? No. We may be subject to the whims of powerful elected and unelected officials and a dysfunctional insurance system, but I submit that we are not helpless. So how do we work together to get what we want rather than what some politician or insurance company thinks we need? Here's how we win. There are some real solutions that you and I are going to be working through in these next segments of the program, maybe even the next few weeks. But there are some big ideas that can help you and your family. It's just that no one really wants to talk about them. Keep in mind, most solutions that help you work against the interests of lobbyists in the healthcare and political establishment. 
So first, you need to know what they're keeping secret from you. What is it? Knowledge. Why? Because knowledge is power. With knowledge, you can use your two most powerful weapons, your voice and your vote. Have you ever thought that voting was a waste of time? That's what many politicians actually want you to think. They want your money, and they say they want your vote, but they want your vote only if you're actually going to be voting for them. Without the public voting, lobbyists and their political contributions become a much more powerful voice. They give a lot more money than you or I do to political campaigns. And politicians rely on the lobbyists making contributions to actually afford to do the things that they want to do, going out and doing the solicitations that you and I get. But they don't listen to us as much as they do the lobbyists. I've been told many times before when I talk to a politician about an issue, ask for his opinion, or ask them to take some action. You know what the response was to me? Go talk to my lobbyists. Now, how can you leverage your voice and your vote into real action? Well, trust me, an informed and angry voter can get a politician's attention. Not the crazy one that I just mentioned that said, well, go talk to my lobbyists. But informed and committed voters scare the pants off of them. So if you can gather up other like-minded voters, develop the issue in a number of ways, which I'll describe later. You can actually create some movement and some action around an idea. If you think one vote will never change the world, you are wrong. In 2010, Obamacare was passed by one vote from a dead person. Yes, a dead person. Senator Ted Kennedy died after being part of a Senate 60-vote Democratic filibuster-proof approval of Obamacare. He was replaced by Senator Scott Brown, who ran in opposition to Obamacare and was actually elected to fill Senator Ted Kennedy's seat. But the House of Representatives used a political trick to avoid a Senate revote. So we got Obamacare by a margin of a dead man's single vote. So one vote or a few votes can change the world. Think back to recent elections. In 2000, George W. Bush won the presidency by 547 disputed hanging Chad votes in Florida. And by a one vote, five to four majority of the United States Supreme Court in their decision on how to count these votes. In 2016, Donald Trump won the presidency by winning several states by only a few thousand votes. Remember, passage of laws, even if by one vote, can force you to buy only government-controlled health insurance. They can force you to pay for insurance you don't want. They can increase your taxes and add penalties for noncompliance. Now, you may hate politics, but the thing you probably really hate is not politics, but the intrusive effects of coercive politics. Consumers have been ignored for too long. 
This whole discussion hopefully will bring back the idea of a consumer patient into the center of any reform proposal that you and I develop over the next few weeks. Now, consumers should know what they want to do and what they should advocate for. However, in any reform, the interests of all stakeholders actually should be considered as well. The ideal of a health care consensus that balances the needs of consumers and other stakeholders, they can be developed, and there are other people involved in this that can get on board with consumerism. Imagine the peace of mind you would have if you can get the health insurance you want at an affordable price. So let's start the journey of discovering just how personalized health insurance works. Learn what you can do to get what you want right now. So let's take a commercial break, and we're going to delve right into this topic of personalized health insurance that works for you and your family. Please join us after these words. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. We're talking about imagining. Imagine something in the future that involves health insurance reform. Gives you what you want, when you need it, at the price you want it, and it's all affordable. Well, let's move forward with this idea of personalized health insurance. Now, the number one area that I would say the key to starting this process, to begin to frame out these ideas, let's talk about something you've probably never heard any politician talk about before. That is the concept of risk segmentation. We're going to talk about what that really means and the implications of it. But keep that two-word phrase in mind, risk segmentation, because the big idea here is that you have a right to be grouped with others that have similar health risks, good or bad, and only then will you be able to get the right information and select the appropriate level of medical care at an affordable insurance premium. Think about what we've recently done with this coronavirus. We've segmented the population by risk. We've said very old people with health conditions are subject to the most serious forms and implications and repercussions of the coronavirus. Children, on the other hand, have a very low risk. There's only been 30 people nationally as of this point that have died from coronavirus that are under age 15. Yet there are 190 people a year that die from the flu. But we haven't shut down schools. We haven't worried about the health of our children getting the flu when they go to school. But if we segment the population into those risk categories, we can better address the specific personalized needs of those segments. And I want to start with that concept. 
that if we know the risk of an individual, if they're healthy, they have different needs. If they've got chronic and persistent conditions, they have different needs. There's different information, different services, different medical care that those populations need that's very different from each other. And if you've got something that I would say is catastrophic, you've got cancer, you've got a brain injury, you've got a spinal injury, you're quadriplegic, you can't get around, you're a burn victim. Those are catastrophic instances, and you need special help and support. That's entirely different from people who are well. Yet politicians, because they really aren't very creative, thoughtful, inventive, they really don't know health and health care, let alone health insurance. They want to put everybody into one pot. They use a nice-sounding term sometimes. It's called a single risk pool. It's like we're all in this together. Well, we are in some sense all in this together as citizens of the United States, but our needs are very different. So let's talk about risks for a minute. Because insurance is based on the concept of risk pooling. That is, sharing potential costs with a large group of similar risks. But what does similar risks really mean? Well, it means grouping people by their health status, such as, let me take a look at four different categories of very different needs around their health care issues. The first category would be the worst. I've just mentioned that. It's catastrophic. Cancer, rare diseases, head trauma, and burns. The second category could be chronic and persistent illnesses, things like asthma, diabetes, heart disease, mental health. Third category would be what I will call at-risk acute conditions, smoking, high blood pressure, overweight. And then you have the largest segment of the population, which are basically well. They basically either have no claims or low claims. They're low risk. They're people who have a good nutrition and diet, and they're active in their lifestyle. Well, if we took a look at each of these, let's start with the last one and work forward to the first one that we mentioned. 63% of the population are generally well. And do you know how much claims that they actually generate? Well, they only generate 12% of claims. So if you're part of this population, you should have lower premiums and benefit from your healthy lifestyle, your well-being, and share the lower cost with others like you. So as a pool, you're doing the right things, and you're likely to continue to do those right things. You ought to be allowed to be a part of that pool. Now let's talk about the at-risk population. That's about 20% of the population. They have a need for medical care. This group represents about 25% of the claims. And this group needs programs like smoking cessation, diet support, nutrition education, prenatal care, and family planning. But this group can lower their premiums by prevention and early intervention. So we can lower their premiums 
by giving the kind of help and support that they need given where they are in the spectrum of health risks. Let's go to the, another category. 16% of the population are chronic impaired risks. Those with chronic and persistent illnesses or diseases need significant medical care. This group benefits the most from medical maintenance and stabilization. Those with asthma, diabetes, heart disease, and mental health issues can lower premiums by following treatment plans and compliance with doctor's orders. They need to be given more education around their illness and how they can stabilize themselves, how they can prevent hospitalizations. Clearly, a diabetic who can stay out of the hospital is a lot lower cost than one who doesn't take care of themselves and has their foot amputated, goes blind, re-hospitalized multiple times, lots of medications. It's an entirely different need of that population. So I hope you're getting the picture here that risk segmentation can be an enormously powerful tool if we adopt that concept in developing sort of a health reform program. Now, let's take the sickest among us, because this is a group that I am most concerned about providing the best possible care that we've not done in the past. This is a group that needs our help, you and me, who are in better health, need to be able to help this population, but not by creating a single risk pool where we're paying for all their problems, but we're able to establish a program that gives them some government subsidy for their premium. But more importantly, since that 1% of the population that identifies catastrophic impaired risks, this group generates about 15% of health care claims. If the catastrophic impaired health risks are segmented into a separate pool, all the other groups would benefit with lower health premiums. Those catastrophic impaired risks would be provided proper care and treatment, given federal and maybe even state premium subsidies that are off and are offered information support for effective treatments. There is some help, there is some recovery, there is some improvement for people who have catastrophic impaired risks. It's also where we wind up with the idea of compassionate care, compassionate use of medications to save people's lives, to eliminate the pain that they may be going through from the condition that they're in. If we segment this population and help them the most, they are in the most need. We need to help them the most. We need to give them the tools to get through the life problems that they have, whether it's an accident or whether it's an illness or whether it's just the effects of getting older that something happens like cancer, heart disease. We can help these people the most by giving them the most help and care and support, not pushing them off to the side like we used to do before Obamacare. We pushed them into what we used to be called high-risk pools that had very limited coverage, very expensive premiums if they could even get it. No, this group needs our help the most, and this is where we can act as real citizens of a country working together to get the information and support to the people most in need. Now, neither politicians nor health industry experts are discussing 
this concept of risk segmentation. Why? Because it upsets the status quo. Some argue it's not politically correct and we could stigmatize the high-risk population by identifying them as high-risk. It's never a stigma to talk about the truth in order to help people. It's a stigma to ignore the needs of different populations and let them get worse just by covering it over, papering it over the fact that they actually need our help and support. Others say it's just too much like the system we had before Obamacare. But it's not. Politicians seem to prefer the centralized, one-size-fits-all approach. It's easier for them because they don't really understand the nuances of health care. And that is how we got Obama's care's single risk pool, where everybody got lumped together. And we didn't recognize the differences and the needs of different people in health care issues, in the sicknesses that they had, that if we just identified their need and provide them with the help and support and the right kind of insurance that met their needs, we would all benefit. A single risk pool system is where everybody's premium is based on everybody else's health risk. So you don't get any benefit if you're doing the right things. There's no differentiation based on health maintenance, lifestyle, treatment compliance, and sometimes, and not even age and gender, which are natural things that differentiate the type of illnesses that we get. There's no financial benefit to being healthy, getting healthy, or staying healthy. What kind of a system would that be? It's a wrong system, ultimately doomed to failure, which is what we have under Obamacare. There was no real financial benefit for being healthy or getting healthy or staying healthy. So, how do we open up our minds to new ideas and innovative solutions? Well, Speaker Newt Gingrich used to say we had two ways to approach a problem. No, because, and we're all in that camp. No, it can't be done because of such and such. Or there's the yes, if people that say, yes, I've got that same concern, but if we do this, we can solve the problem. And that's the kind of imagining process I want us to continue on this journey. Talking about, yes, this idea of risk segmentation would work if we do certain things. So if you're a yes, if person, and you want to read on here and listen to this, you can gain control over your own health and health care needs. It could be a matter of life or death for you or your family. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back and continue our imagined journey with that yes-if attitude. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. 
More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Ron Bachman, and the program is Healthcare Insight. We've been talking about imagining. Imagine a health reform that actually meets your needs. Imagine you are in control. Imagine you are king for a day. We've been talking about how we would go about structuring a health reform proposal. So I've been throwing out some ideas here to lay the foundation. And once we put together some of the uh, pieces that might be considered, you can make some changes, you can make some adjustments to create your own health care reform and then advocate for that. So we left the last session talking about being a yes-if person. So if you're a yes-if person, we'll talk about the concerns that exist on any kind of a reform proposal and try to develop some solutions by saying, yes, we can do that if this is the case, if we make these changes. So I want to talk about it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Political health reform proposals are typically very confusing, and I believe they're confusing on purpose. I consider it to be sort of a political sleight of hand. So don't be fooled by politicians and health industry lobbyists. They try to sound smart by purposely making things complicated. One trick they use is to point the finger at someone else. Yes, we have a dysfunctional system. Insurers blame hospitals and doctors. Hospitals blame insurers. Doctors blame lawyers. Employers blame non-compliant employees. And politicians blame other politicians. And so the blame game goes on and on with no solution. Another trick they use is to propose comprehensive solutions. In 2019, healthcare spending represented almost 18% of our gross domestic product. Any industry that large has lots of lobbyists and vested interests in the status quo. They suggest comprehensive reforms. Sounds great to the general public. Sounds like a good debate argument. 
let's just do comprehensive reforms and fix all the problems at one time. But comprehensive solutions include so many extra items that the politicians and lobbyists know that everyone is going to find some part of a comprehensive solution that they disagree with. So nothing gets done. So it's a great argument against any change to talk about everything should change and then nothing gets changed. Lobbyists also assume that we're just too stupid to understand the details. You and I just are not smart enough to understand this complicated industry. And they use industry and political shorthand and that alphabet soup of organizations and structures and pieces of legislation, COB, CON, HDHP, CDHC, and many more insider terms that show that we just don't understand the complexities of healthcare. How could we? We're just too stupid. Well, the reality is it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know the difference between health insurance and health care. While they are intertwined, health care is when one receives services from medical providers, that is doctors, hospitals, and other caregivers. Health insurance is how one finances medical services. Health insurance reform should focus on private market coverages. Why? Because 176 million Americans access health care through employer-sponsored health insurance or through individual health insurance policies. So whether it's an employer-sponsored plan or an individual coverage, we are all concerned about three things. The cost of health insurance, coverage of pre-existing conditions, and our out-of-pocket expenses. Well, here's another big idea we can talk about. You are a health insurance consumer. Now, just think about that. You are a consumer. How do you feel when you go to Walmart, Costco, Sam's? target about the prices and availability of products that you're looking for. When you're a consumer, efficient free markets always respond to consumer demands for products, services, and information. And it's time we tried a system that focuses on consumer and patient needs when we're talking about health care reform. What a big idea that would be, that you can actually get what you want and have enough competition for your consumer dollars to actually develop the products and services and information that you need because you're a unique individual and there ought to be something out there that meets your needs. Well, some will tell you that we've already tried a free market, consumer-oriented healthcare system before Obamacare. But again, that's another lie, because pre-Obamacare insurance was not a free market. You and I know it was a bad system. Before Obamacare, the healthcare lobbyists had their way. That structure included laws and regulations that 
where the uh, consumers were powerless to seek or purchase the insurance coverage they wanted. Insurance had restrictions on which providers and services patients could access. Cost and quality information was hidden from us. Individual consumers had no power to negotiate premiums or understand why they were rejected for coverage. A few powerful insurers limited coverages, provider alternatives, plan choices, innovation, and pricing competition. Now take that to a retail market. Can you imagine going into Best Buy and they would say, I'm sorry, we can't give you the cost or the quality information around that computer you want to buy. And oh, by the way, you see an ad from somebody else that offers up at a certain price. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't um, we don't match prices. We don't even negotiate prices. It is what it is, and I can't even tell you why. But we have a price, and you're just going to have to pay it. So you can see the difference. We don't have, nor did have we ever had, a consumer-oriented healthcare market. And what you may not know is that the laws and regulations were mostly written by insurance industry lawyers. For those insiders, limited competition and market share drives the process. Consumers are ignored. Well, we don't want to revert to that system. We can't let insurance industry lobbyists write the laws post-Obamacare. We'll only get shafted a second time. You are a consumer. Act like one, demand to be treated like one. Efficient free markets always respond to consumer demands for products, services, and information. But we have never had that free market for health insurance. So maybe it's time we tried a system that focuses on the consumer and patient needs. Politicians and insurers aren't working to help you and me. Politicians have been promising repeal and replace plans for over 10 years, yet nothing gets done. They have been either unable or unwilling to develop an alternative to Obamacare. Moreover, since 2002, insurers and their lobbyists have been fighting against expanded account-based plans and health savings accounts. Why? Because health savings accounts or HSAs put some control in the hands of consumers. So recognize this truth. Lobbyists and existing vested interests will preserve the status quo and work against your interests in choices, treatment options, and affordable insurance. It's time to demand change that recognizes your unique needs. Personalized health insurance as we'll describe and we'll build out over the next couple of weeks, is a new health insurance system that is consumer-driven and patient-centric. Personalized health insurance is an approach to get you the insurance you want, when you want it, at an affordable price. You and I want coverage improvements, affordability, and more treatment and health care options. It's time we took control. We can't let government or insurance bureaucracies come between the patient-provider relationship. We cannot let them set the rules and tell doctors what they can and cannot do. They cannot be allowed to say who, 
we can see for our health care or what treatments we are prescribed. So we'll be detailing in later segments of this program, next week and maybe the week following even. Personalized health insurance will improve the delivery of care, lower premiums, improve the quality of treatments, and add new choices. As I lay that out, I am sure there are going to be new thoughts in your mind as you're listening to this. I don't claim to have all the answers, but let me paint out that frame as we both imagine what the future could be, and then you can help make changes as we move forward. As the coverage personalized health insurance includes the most popular Obamacare consumer-oriented features. We don't need to say get rid of all of Obamacare. Yeah, we'll get rid of the bill, but we'll ultimately build back in some of the most important features of Obamacare, like guaranteed issue of insurance, coverage of pre-existing conditions, dependent children coverage to age 26, unlimited lifetime maximum, so that your insurance never maxes out. You're always going to have coverage. And you'll have the option for comprehensive major medical insurance. So personalized health insurance, as we're going to build it out, has its strength in this country's basic principles. It includes the efficiencies, innovation, choices, and a consumer focus of a free market with consumer protections, patient empowerment, and limited government oversight. It does not include the least popular features of Obamacare, such as pricing distortions by age, excessive coverage mandates, limited policy choices, and single risk pooling. Now, if we cannot unite around a vision of a consumer-oriented, personalized health insurance program, then surely we will head towards a one-size-fits-all government structure that fails to meet your unique needs. So let's take another quick break, and in the last segment, I promise you that we will get to describing exactly what this personalized health insurance looks like, how we're going to build it out, and now I'm going to ask you to provide your insight for additions and changes that would actually make some improvement in the ideas that we're going to talk about. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and we're in the final segment of our hour on Healthcare Insight. Today, we're talking about real solutions to the health reform and health insurance debate. We know that this is going to come up in Congress. And We've just said that there are a lot of issues that we're going to walk through together. We're going to imagine some solutions. I'm going to put you in charge of thinking about the solutions that are needed for you and your family. And earlier in this this hour, we've talked about the forces that are working against you. And you need to know who the enemy is in some ways to know how to move forward and find solutions. And the solution that we're talking about is within this concept of risk segmentation. Last segment or so, we've really talked about the importance of risk segmentation and how it can help each and every person in the marketplace if they can find the silo that they're in, that segment that they're in, so that they can get the right information, the right solution, the right type of coverage to meet their needs. The overall concept I like to call personalized health insurance because it is about you. It's about your uniqueness, very personalized to your needs. But I want it to be within a private market structure, a private market solution, because government can never do things right. They're too big. They're too much structured around one size fits all for everybody, as we've seen in Obamacare and why that fails and why people don't really get what they need. They get what they're forced to take. It's not a real competitive marketplace that gives us choices and options as we have in almost every other part of our life. So here's the big idea. Personalized health insurance that is a voluntary, hassle-free system that recognizes the importance of choice. It does not mandate any plan design under personalized health insurance, 15 to 20% lower premium options are available to meet the needs of varying consumers. It's all about ultimately getting a more affordable health insurance so that you can access the quality health care that you want. So follow me as we explore some of these options and solutions Personalized health insurance is a private market solution. Let's make that absolutely clear. Its strength is that it provides unique solutions depending upon your health profile, that is your health status, your health risk, whichever term you want to use, and who you get your health insurance from. In other words, are you getting it from an employer or are you going out and making an individual purchase? So let me explain which category you're in, and then I want you to also think through the situation your neighbor might be in, or another family member, or your son or your daughter who's 
left home is going out to um, make their own life. Now, let's assume you and I are one of over 200 million Americans in one of four major categories. You're either employed by a large employer-sponsored insurance, you're getting your insurance through that large employer-sponsored plan, or you're getting your insurance through a small employer-sponsored plan, or you've gone out and you're buying it individually. Or the last category is you may still be uninsured. So let's take a little deeper into which you're in, because it really matters in the type of solution that we might develop. So if you're in a group insurance plan, either in category one or two, that is a large employer or a small employer, uh, it may be self-insured or fully insured. Now, these are terms which may be new to you, or you sort of know what they are but aren't absolutely certain about what kind of coverage you have, what kind of coverage your employer has, how are they funding it? Is it a self-insured or is it a fully insured plan? Well, if you're uncertain, ultimately ask your human resources manager or your benefits manager, and they'll tell you it's not a secret. Um, And obviously you can't reach your HR department right now and check with them, but find out later on, um, and it'll be helpful as you think back through this discussion. But let me give you some general guidance. If your company has fewer than 50 employees, it is probably fully insured. If it's over 300 employees, it's probably self-insured. In between, it may be either. So try to answer the following questions before we get into the type of coverage that personalized health insurance is and what the system and changes that are needed um, that we can outline. Do you work for a large self-insured employer? These companies provide employer subsidized health plans to over 200 or over 120 million employees and family members. So what is a self-insured plan? A self-insured group health plan is one in which the employer pays the claims and uses an administrator, sometimes an insurer, just to process the claims. And they provide other services such as legal, actuarial, educational enrollment. But the bottom line is that a self-insured plan, the employer is at risk and is responsible to pay any claims. Basically, the employer is acting as an insurance company. Employees, through staff surveys and working with the HR department, can have a big impact on coverages and the cost of insurance, Working even if you work for a large self-insured employer. The second area is, if you, do you work for a small, fully insured employer? These companies provide employer-subsidized health plans to about 45 million employees and family members. A fully insured health plan is one in which the employer pays a fixed premium to an insurance carrier for the payment of claims and all other services. The insurer is at risk and is responsible to pay any claims. So in this case, an insurer is actually acting as an insurer who is consolidating the claims of many of their customers and they are at risk for those claims. Those claims are very large. The insurance company is the one responsible for that. In the first case, for a large employer, if the claim is very large, the employer is very responsible for those, except there are some, without getting into details, some reinsurance arrangements that can protect uh, that large employer in a self-insured arrangement. 
So in a small company, individual voices and concerns are more likely to be heard. Talk to your benefit manager about options and alternatives. You can make a difference. So do you need an individual policy because you're self-employed or your employer does not offer health insurance? Or if they do, it's not really a very good coverage or it's not affordable, even with some subsidy. Individual policies are purchased by about 15 million people. In 2019, 11.4 million purchased individual policies through federal insurance exchanges. That's a government structure set up under Obamacare. And 3.6 million purchased insurance directly from insurers. So if you need insurance now, talk to an insurance agent. Explain your to your agent your family needs, your budget, your health concerns. If you want changes in what's available in other forms of insurance and other ideas on what could happen down the road or how you might better understand insurance, then let's continue this discussion. And we'll go on for a couple of weeks outlining what could be the basis for a replacement of Obamacare and the coverage your family is going to need. So fourth, are you without any insurance? The uninsured total $28 million, 28 million lives in 2019. Some uninsured are between jobs and can't afford COBRA, and that's a continuation of coverage that you can allow to take from your employer for a period of time, but it can have a very expensive price tag to it since there would be no longer employer subsidies. A majority of the uninsureds are what I would call the working poor, where there is no employer-subsidized health insurance. Others would purchase insurance if only affordable insurance was available to meet their unique needs. Some people are simply uninsured by choice. Self-reflect on the reason you are uninsured, if that's the case. If you're between jobs, COBRA continuation, coverage may be the answer. A temporary six-month catastrophic plan may meet your needs. If you want longer-term coverage, see an insurance agent, as I mentioned, and price a plan that meets your budget. We will discuss political reforms later in this series, but recognize that your involvement, your knowledge, and vote can make a difference. There's an old saying, legislation tends to crowd out the future. That means that once government gets control, it's really hard to change or modernize programs. Therefore, these discussions that we're having around personalized health insurance is not going to offer solutions and reforms to those plans that are already substantially provided by the federal government. They've already made a mess of a number of programs, and they need reforms. But the major thrust of all these discussions around personalized health insurance is to meet the vast majority of Americans that have private market coverage today. Because I assure you, there are forces out there, and we may see it through this election and even after the election, depending upon the outcome, the idea that the federal government is going to provide you the right kind of insurance that you need when we know that that can't possibly be the case because they never have. Let's talk about a couple of government programs that are in place that just are not working the way they really should or the way they were projected originally to work. Medicare, government insurance for age 65 and older, is running out of money. Baby boomers are overwhelming the Medicare system. The coverage is so inadequate that many have to purchase expensive Medicare supplement policies. Medicaid, government insurance for the poor, it's draining federal and state budgets and is fraught with fraud. Payments to care providers are so low that many doctors do not accept Medicaid patients. 
So you may have a Medicaid insurance card, but there is very limited access to real health care. And now let's talk about the veteran system. It has long waiting lines and inadequate care. We've seen the veteran systems that there was a lying about the from the administrators on the waiting lists and the success and the deaths of people. People were dying because they weren't getting care, but they weren't even being counted in order to hide the system's inadequacies. TRICARE for the military, the Children's Health Insurance Program, all those programs need reform and added flexibilities to improve coverage and patient care. So solutions to government-controlled programs are difficult because significant lobbying interest and resistance from special interest constituents. Too often, the comprehensive solutions include those programs, and that's usually the kiss of death for any proposal. Such reforms are typically distorted as hurting the poor and throwing grandmother over the cliff. Let's let those issues aside for separate action and focus on the over 200 million Americans getting health insurance in the private market. So now that you've identified your insurance segment and you've identified what we're not going to be covering in personalized health insurance, I want to next week get into the details of how personalized health insurance will work for you as an individual and if you're in a small group. Those are the two biggest categories that need help and support. Large employers have some other issues that need to be addressed But the real issue of providing health care to the marketplace, of covering the uninsured, of having affordable health care, really is addressing appropriately the individual insurance market and the small group market that is under 50 employees. So join me next week, and we will get into the nitty-gritty of the real answers and get your input on how all this should ultimately pan out into some sort of legislation and change at the national level. Please join me next week as we continue our discussion about imagining what health care reform should be if it was personalized to your needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.